Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the National Fire Radio podcast. As 2023 gets going, we're making some changes. And so real quick, before we launch into the daily episode, I just want to hit on a couple things. If you like what you're hearing, we appreciate the support. Please give us a five-star rating on the audio players. It helps promote the podcast and get its popularity up. And I certainly appreciate all the effort that our community brings to the table in supporting us in the mission of National Fire Radio Give us that five-star review, subscribe, like the page, send us your comments. And this is the fun part about what we're doing this year. We created a new email address for you all to send us your thoughts, ideas, and comments or questions or concerns or hate or love or anything else in between. You can email us at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. What that email address will do is it will come as a direct line of source for information regarding the podcast. And so if you have anything that you want to hit us up about the podcast, sponsorship opportunities, ad reads to questions, thoughts, and ideas, we're going to be rolling out a question and answer episode once a week. And it's going to be directly from the emails that are sent in to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. So take advantage of that. Send us your thoughts and ideas and questions, and we'd love to answer them on the air. And lastly, I just got to mention our website, nationalfireradio.com, is where you can get any of the swag that we're putting out. All of the merchandise that we sell goes right back to supporting the podcast and the National Fire Radio brand. We are super excited for 2023. We have a lot coming out, and I can't wait to share it with you all. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Now, the podcast. Our first sponsor of the podcast, Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew have been manufacturing helmet fronts, aluminum helmet fronts, since 2017. Over 200,000-plus shields have been manufactured by Taylor and his crew. Custom helmet fronts shipped within 24 to 48 hours. Whether it's one piece to a 500-piece department order, they'll get them out under two days. They're doing incredible work, 100% customizable product. Their product is top shelf. Not only are they doing aluminum helmet fronts, they're doing gas cards, playing cards, keychains, medical cards, and charts, pump charts, street signs, custom signs, banquet awards, you name it, they're doing it. Go to taylorstins.com, and if you do order, use this promo code, NFR sent me, all one word, NFR sent me, and you'll get 15% off at checkout. That's because we have a strong relationship and friendship with Taylor from Taylor's Tins. They've been a longtime supporter of the National Fire Radio platform, and I appreciate their support and friendship. Without further ado, the daily episode. Hey, everybody. Jeremy, National Fire Radio, back on the podcast today. I got a fella that uh, I've gotten to know over the years uh, through the apparatus channels, Chris Dubois. He's the sales manager for Absolute Fire Protection out of northern New Jersey. They cover the northern New Jersey and metro New York area selling E1 apparatus. Chris is super smart when it comes to apparatus design, the theory behind it, and the pros and cons. And uh, he's the type of salesman that you want working on your project because he certainly understands the trade-offs and what's important and prioritizes the build for the customer. Chris, I'm not going to build you up anymore, man. Thanks for joining me today. No, thanks for having me. It's nice to be on. You know, nice yeah, it's to cool. Be, uh, we, sharing, you know, sharing some knowledge so that way 
you know, more uh, people can build great fire trucks. Oh, listen to you. So tender already starting off. Right? You know, I listen, yeah. if anybody knows you, they know you're not that tender. But uh, no, I'm kidding. No. You you are. I, I absolutely enjoy talking to you because you and I have a lot of very straightforward, candid conversations about the way the market is. Things are things that are happening, the way it's trending. And we're going to hop into a bunch of that stuff today on the show. It should be said you are a 19 year fireman, uh, second generation lieutenant in your volunteer house right now. You are immersed in the fire service outside of the firehouse. You live the fire service because you're delivering apparatus, building apparatus, and doing this as your full-time job. This is not a part-time gig for you, and this is uh, this is really what and who you are. Correct, yeah. I'm, I'm seven days a week, 365 days a year, whether it's um... – <laughs> You know, every time every time you open up the Facebook feed and start scrolling through, it's like the work hack gets put back on because you start looking at everything that's coming across and you're yeah. screenshotting something that you saw or saving a picture or an idea that somebody else had, you know, so you can steal it and make it your own and get, get put on a podcast. I, you know, and that's, uh, I love that, that. That's that's literally, you know, two thirds of this job is remembering everything you need to make the to, to put the truck together. Yeah, and we're you only know, making knowing... we're only making your life more difficult for the record with the apparatus innovation content and so on. We just the more we put out there, the more salesmen reach out to me and say, "What are you doing to us? You're giving too many options and educating too many people <laughs> about what's out there, making the build process harder." But in fact, in in regards to that though, in all seriousness, right? You right. said to me that today we have a better educated consumer than we've ever had. Absolutely. Talk yeah, about I mean, that a little bit. Seeing... So what we're seeing is, for the most part, people are coming to us and they're saying, hey, I went and looked at these three or four trucks and we really liked uh, this item on this truck, this item on this truck, this item on this truck. Can you put us together a concept that starts with that? You know, or they'll have a, a, a stack of photos or, you know, up on their, on their phones, you know, from walking around Harrisburg, you know, things they saw, screenshotting some of the... Uh, the people that do some fantastic work out there that do some great social media yeah. stuff like FMI. Yeah. Somebody 100%. that has a constant ton of people um, putting their stuff out to me and saying, Hey, can we do something like this? Does yeah. that work? You know, how's this? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. And you have a template to work off of when people bring this to you instead of having to like pry information out of them. You know, the, uh, the worst thing in the world was somebody saying they saw a truck in a calendar and said, that looks nice. Let me get, let me have that one. And then they get it and they're like, well, that's not what I expected it to be because the calendar only shows one side of the fire truck. Yeah, well, you know? in, in regards to that, though, too, though, <laughs> years ago, that's really what it was, right? Like the, I, what I know just from how immersed we are in the apparatus industry now and working with guys like you and different dealers and manufacturers and then navigating the social pages and sharing content from guys like FMI, who does an incredible job on upfitting and things like that, they're they're what I see in the market now more than ever is just a much vast, a, a bigger array a vast library of abilities and things to do. And I remember on all the truck committees I've been on over my years in the fire service, you know, the early on ones, we never ever dove in like you do today. And I think that an educated consumer, and I say this a lot on our social media, but an educated consumer is the best consumer you could have as a salesman and as a, and as a, a manufacturer of an apparatus, because that means it's a customer that knows what they want. And chances are at the, at the delivery of that apparatus, they're going to be satisfied with the build because it was their brainchild. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and especially when you get it together and, 
it comes together like the eight team, you know, I love it when a plan works out yeah. and you put all that effort in and it's, you know, every single piece works as expected and as designed. And that's, you know, that's very satisfying, you know, and then you get the call back from the customer and they're like, Hey, this thing is perfect. It's just exactly what we wanted, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I think that that's super important, right? Because what I also think though, too, and, and I'd love to hear your take on this also is that, the, the face of the salesman is changing a little bit. Um, we used to, as a fire service, rely solely on the salesman to educate us about the build, right? Like, we want to do this, sure. and the salesman's like, no, nah, you can't do that. And what I've come to find out in the industry is that most salesmen don't really know the full capabilities of, of what can be done or what has been done already. And there's a disconnect on the manufacturer side where maybe something is being done special on the West Coast or down South or in the Midwest, and it's been done before, but because the local salesman has never seen it before, say on an E1 apparatus, they might easily turn around saying, we've never done that before, we can't do that. But I think now more than ever, there's a way to show value, and it requires the salesman to be more ingrained and more educated than ever. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, you can't you can't uh, do this job, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, in a fishbowl, you have to be looking at everything. And, uh, you know, I'm an E1 guy, so I spend a decent amount of time at our two factories. Every time I go, even if I'm with a customer to look at a specific thing, I still, even if it's a short run, I always take a quick run around the factory to see if anything is there that is new that I hadn't seen before, you know, because like you said, regionally, people do things very differently. So you might run into something like, hey, I was looking for a solution for that. That's going to be perfect uh, for, you know, Jeremy's firehouse. Is, yeah. he, they were looking for something just like this. Oh, hey, I needed that for this customer. Oh, that'll be perfect for them. You know, and you start to compile this and ha try to keep as much, you know, data, if you will, saved and have, I mean, I've got probably, you know, a terabyte of fire truck pictures and two thirds of them are hose beds. But, you know, that's, we also, you know, you have to do everything and it's, ladder trucks, rescue trucks, pumpers, um, and pumpers have all different kinds of configurations. So you've got to have it for the different types of customers and tankers. I don't want to let my tanker people get us <laughs> them out. Um, yeah. And they by the way, they are tankers, not tenders. I'm fine with that. You're not going to get any yeah. argument from me at all on that topic. It's been a tanker yeah, for so 28 years of my career. So exactly. And it's going to stay that way for the rest of it. You know? <laughs> unless, I do. Unless, you, unless your fire department has an airplane in it? I don't want to hear it. There you, you go. I, I would agree. Plus, E1 doesn't do airplanes, do they? No. No. No, no. but I can get you some stickers. You can Part slap on me. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Let's talk about real quick. I want to back up a couple minutes here to what you said. And you said that when you're at the factory, you like to walk around to educate yourself. So you're there with clients. Clients are wrapped up with one of the product specialists or something. So you can sneak away from your, your groups and go do your own recon mission. I find tremendous value in those recon missions, especially at the factory, but also at like conferences and things like that. But we yep. were we were talking about before an educated consumer. And today, more than ever, our consumers, the builders, the firemen, the fire officers, the administration teams that are buying and building these apparatus are educating themselves because of social media and, and websites and things like that. I get that. But the importance of that factory visit more and more people are neglecting to pay for the 
factory visit, say, for pre-construction, whereas that became very popular for a while to send people to the factory, sit down with the blueprints, the specialists and the salesmen and go over the go over the build and then walk the floor and be able to do that recon to see if there's anything else that you might not have seen before and so on. That process is starting to wane a little bit, correct? Absolutely. So one thing and this is actually, it started pre-COVID in like 16, probably more, in 2017, 18, we started to get some customers that were looking to shave every last penny out of their budget for the maximum amount of options and equipment they could put into their truck. Right. So they started at that time looking into diving deeper into that truck's specification and design before even having the order placed that way that when the order was placed they had really nothing left to change and they had no more money left to spend they didn't leave themselves a slush fund if you will to go buy more options they said this is this is what we want it is correct let's you know find you know go through the fine tooth read on this but we did it locally and it became more prevalent. And then during COVID, when travel restrictions were what they were, we did um, like almost a year and change where, you know, in-person travel down to the factory was restricted yeah, um, uh, pretty immensely. And then into 21, we started opening some back up. But a lot of customers still said, hey, even though we can go back, we know what we're talking about. We've done our research and we don't need to go to yeah, do what we sure. want because we know what we want. You know, and uh, it's nice when customers are that ready. And that's something that we're we're kind of telling people now, too, is, hey, even if you're going to go on your trip, there are a lot of things that people used to save till the pre-build to, to lock in on their truck design. And I'm like, well, if you know you're going to do something straight up, let's get it in the design, in the order, get it accounted for, because you don't know you know, if there is a uh, action to reaction to that, yeah. you know, you don't want to have to go back through the engineering process twice um, just because, you know, you held back on something that you're going to do, you know? No, I get that completely. I, I, I really do. So what has like absolute, like what have you guys done or what has E1 done as the company, as the manufacturer to, to better that process? I mean, are we doing a lot more like teleconference, Zoom or Teams or something like that that is yeah. making a much more immersive, uh, you know, uh, process for the customer? Yep, yeah, so we're doing a lot of that. Um, we updated our pre-built conference room here at at the at our facility in South Plainfield with okay. a, a whiteboard, uh, big screen TV with, the, with the, the files on it and pretty much set it up so that you kind of have a hub here. The nice thing is, is when you're at the shop, it's almost kind of like a mini factory trip on the right day because you've got new trucks coming in from delivery. You've got trucks in for service. So if you do need to go take a peek at something for sizing or spacing or just want to see something new, chances are there's something outside that's going to be within reason for your pre-build to take a peek at, you know? No, it makes sense. So that, I mean, allows us yeah. to, that allows us to put hands on still without, you know, going on, a, you know, uh, on the adventure. Now, I will tell you that, you know, doing that in-house pre-build is, is always going to give you that, that, that comfort level of knowing that you did everything you could. But any, uh, pretty much any salesman will tell you, like, there's always the chance that whatever product you're buying, unless it's, you know, the run-of-the-mill pumper, if you will, 
um, you could go down to the factory and just happen to not have the product you're looking for there because it just happens to not have one of that thing. In yeah, the right. Of thing. Right. You know, there's going to be there's always going to be recipes in production, but it might not be like what you're doing. It might be a walk around instead of a walk in. It you know, so the body is not completely useless, but it's just dramatically different. You might have all you know big tank pumpers, or you might have all squads, and you're doing a low hose bed, right? You know, attack pumper. It's you never know what you're going to walk in and see when you get down there. Yeah, um, that's a that's a really good point, and I I think that's a great way to kind of move this conversation to something that we really wanted to dive in with, and that was like the engine company hose bed and tank configurations and the trade offs, and this and that. But I do know this, like for myself, you can look at it. I look at prints all the time. I look at prints probably yeah. daily on different apparatus. I look at what people yeah. are doing. You could even look at photos, you know, a ton of photos and video clips and so on. But until you walk. The apparatus until you say an engine you want to look at that rear hose bed configure configuration until you actually get there look at it get your hands on it play with it you know really digest what you're seeing that upfront that upfront interaction with the truck does make a difference and it's quite impactful when it comes to making those you know gut decisions you know on the design yep. and and with that though and where i'm going with this is trade-offs we always right. want everything. We want low hose bed. We want the largest water tank. We want this. We want that. But when we design things like that, and from an engineering standpoint, you can only do so much with so much, right? So right. talk to me a little bit about, like, the trade-offs. I know that you're very real in the conversation when people ask you about, like, I want a low hose bed. This is the amount of hose I need to carry, and I want a 750 tank. And you're like, mm, I don't know if we can do that, right? Because engineering-wise, it's just not possible. Talk to me about that whole process. Right. Well, one thing, especially, especially in the Northeast and our state being one of the, you know, the old states in the, in the country, right? You have a lot of old firehouses. So you have size restrictions for the truck overall. So no matter what, you've got a footprint you're trying to fit in. And there's some stuff that's just tough to make it all fit in the first place. Right. Yeah. But <clears throat> then you start, I mean, I guess probably before, before I got into the fire service, but the rescue pumper concept right everybody went to full depth compartments both sides of the truck well where's that going to that that's taking the water tank from being a t-tank to a rectangular shaped tank if you will right because it's taken the water that normally when you opened up the compartments it was shallow in the upper deep in the lower your traditional pumper compartments that were teed out so what would happen is you would see you know that water needs to go somewhere now so the next thing you know the, the, the hose beds got sky high and everybody went well, this is terrible for, you know, laying hose in or packing hose because it's a, you got to climb around on this thing and you're hanging off of it to pack hose. But was the mission of the truck to go be a rescue truck that also went to some fires or was it for a truck that went, you know, to fires and you had to carry rescue equipment because you might get a car accident in your <coughs> area once a year? I, I, so I just wrote down, which I think is important in the process, because I do want to talk to you about process and some recommendations you have as we go forward. But I think the one biggest thing is defining the mission of the truck, defining the job, Absolutely. the truck's priority, right? Defining the priority. And having an equipment list is huge. Like, what are you going to carry on this truck? Oh, I haven't even thought about that yet. Well, you got to actually think about that now, because one, equipment's changing drastically, dramatically. So rescue tools is a huge thing going on right now, right? Um, I, at FDIC this past year, I spoke with one of the manufacturers and they said, you know, in the past two years, roughly, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, they went from 70% uh, 
hydraulic, you know, hooked to lines, whether, you know, twin line or single, and 30% battery. Now it is flip-flopped. It's 70% yeah. battery, 30% right. twin line. And so you're like, well, that trend tells me that people aren't going to be putting reels in trucks anymore. So you Correct. don't need to waste that space you know a lot of people aren't even doing generators so you're not having an electric board reel to carry you don't have a generator so now the space that was taken up by infrastructure if you will of making the truck do its job isn't there now your rescue tools take up a tray and a compartment <clears throat> yeah so it, you can go back yeah. to having that pump you can go back to having that pumper body be a rescue pumper and then you get the classic full width hose bed instead of these jammed tight uh, hose beds that you see on some rescue pumpers, which we do make and they have a, a, a niche in the market. But if your primary job is going to be laying hose and using hose, that you're not going to like doing that all the time. You know? Well, and that's, and that's prioritizing the, the job function of the apparatus. Right. And so, you know, Absolutely. that, that goes into the beginning process before you even start looking at apparatus, you got to really understand that what, what is the prior what's the prioritized goal of this truck and what, what's its primary function. That's super huge because then that kind of lays out the format of where you can go with it. Right. Then that coupled with an equipment exactly. list will allow you to build out, you know, the build. Um, let me, so let me ask you this though, back on water tanks real quick, because you got yep. T style, you got rectangle, you got L shape. L is becoming quite popular because everybody wants those super squatty low hose beds in the rear. Right. And exactly. And that's, that's mm -hmm. like really the, that's really like the new norm. It, you know, they're just like the, the rescue tools changing the battery tools. I'd say it's more L tank, low hose beds than anything else coming through, even on tankers, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but what, there's a lot of trade-offs there though, too. And, Absolutely. and that's, that's the one thing that is not talked about often enough. And I want to do more content on social media about the pros and cons of such a low hose bed. It's nice to deploy, but there are a lot of other things that you got to consider when you want to go to that shorter, lower hose bed. Absolutely. So there's a few things and there's actually some measurements that we, we put out to people very often. So, um, one thing is, is obviously if you have a, you know, you have to look at your truck length because the bulk amount of the water is in the upper portion of the L. So it's a, it's a fat vertical. And then the lower portion that rides, you know, along what would be under the hose bed now is not the, not where most of the water is. So now your center of gravity shifts a little bit. So you have to be careful to try and not do too much water in too short of a truck on that L or else a, you're going to have a very shallow hose bed front to back when you're looking at it from the back of the truck. Right. Um, and then you're going to have a feel like you're going to have some body roll because your center of gravity is lifted up high as opposed to being more evenly distributed through the length of the rig. Yeah. And then I, I look at the functionality of it too, right? Depending on what type of department you are, how much hose do you have right. to carry, right? Because what right. we're doing is as we go to an L-shaped tank and we're allowing our hose bed to be lowered in the rear, so from standing on the ground to be able to grab a hose at, say, you know, mid-chest height typically on these lower ones, right? You yep. got to start looking at, though, Chris, and I, I, I really want you to correct me if I'm wrong or, or dive in with me on this, but as we as we lower our hose beds, the hose bed length gets shortened, right? So Correct, yeah. Go ahead. And that, and that, does, that does two things to you, right? So, A, as it gets shorter, your hose stacks have to get taller. Correct. So 
So now you've made what is supposed to be low starts to get stacked back high again. 100%. Now, people will say it's still easier to pack because you're closer on the tailboard. Um, you know, especially if you do a, a, a proper tailboard that's got a, a decent standing surface. Um, it's it is more comfortable to pack even if it is higher hose. Like it's you, nobody can argue with you. That's not just right. sharing an opinion, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what happens is is there's a, there's some serious trade offs there. So as that hose also gets higher, you've got other things. So the average firefighter, right, when they're looking at this thing, as they're looking for what height they want that hose bed to be off the ground, and they say, and you say, oh, well, as low as possible, that makes the most sense, right? Well, not exactly. If you plan on doing like your attack lines off the back per se, and you're going to do like stacks and you want to be able to shoulder load them. Well, if the average firefighter is five, eight, maybe I'm five, six, I'm a little person I know, but like, you know, <laughs> five, eight, five, ten, your shoulder is at 60 something inches off the ground. So that means that you don't want that hose bed really much lower than that, or else you have to bend down to pick hose up out of the hose bed. And that sounds weird, but it's a, that is a concern. You know, some of these, uh, I've seen some a couple trucks out there where people drop that hose bed all the way down to the frame in the back and almost have no L section. And, you know, by doing that, the hose is so low that you really can't shoulder load that hose anymore. Now you just have to pull it onto the ground and now you get, you know, a spaghetti mess. Um, you know, it's just, you have to make sure that the hose bed is going to match your tactics. Well, the, yes. other coin, right. the other coin with that is on the LDH. So as the bed gets shorter and you've got a distance from the ground to the bed, um, you know, rubber LDH, everybody knows it has like a memory to it. You know, you know, you could tell where the last fold was for the last, you know, the whole life of that piece of hose. And um, you could end up pulling off the next stack of hose when you're laying in before the first stack flattens out on the ground if you don't have enough bed light, right? So if you're thinking uh, about, think about a two by four, right? You angled it sitting from the back of the hose bed to the ground, that's eight feet long. 96 inches is like the master number for hose beds, 90 to 96, right? By doing that, it allows that length of hose to flatten out before the next fold pulls. If you ever look at a fire and you see that line looks like it's, zigzagging yep, down the street yep, yep. that that's from a hose bed that's too short <clears throat> there's a couple things you can use to uh, combat that you can uh, jacketed hose does a little bit better of a job of coming off a little bit easier than the rubber stuff um you know because the memory is not quite as there on that um or you drive faster when you're laying in and it pulls it tight <laughs> Yeah. And, and and two things I want to hit on that, right? You are a hundred percent, like a hundred percent correct. I talk about this a lot when it comes to the short, say like a six foot bed on a, on an apparatus to lower it, you got more folds, more folds leads to more spaghetti on LDH when you're laying it. So depending on the type of department you are, if you have hydrants every hundred, 200, 300 feet, you're going to be okay. Right. Three sections get you a 300 feet. You're fine. Right. But the issue becomes if you're laying longer lays and you have a shorter bed like that, you have chances are you're going to have almost twice as many folds coming off than you would if you had a 10 foot, right? And a, a 10 Correct. foot bed. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you, yeah. So when you start having that many folds coming off, 
it can get sloppy. And that is, you're right, when you're standing at the hydrant looking towards the apparatus a thousand feet away, it's like a piece of spaghetti going down the road. And so mm-hmm. it really requires an operator to be real conscious of his lay, right? Knowing how it deploys. Okay. The other thing, too, back to the hand lines, and I want to talk about this, too, operationally wise, you're 100% right about the shoulder height, you know, and in, in deploying that. The other issue, though, too, and departments have to really think about this, is if you're going from an 8- or 10-foot hose bed and you are a, a hose-stretching department, meaning you guys have your, you know, whether it's a Minuteman, modified Minuteman, whatever your, whatever your stretch is, dead load, it doesn't matter, right? However you deploy that line is going to change because when you go from an 8- or 10-foot hose bed to a 6-foot hose bed, you're going to have more folds. And as you go to deploy that line, your nozzle man, your backup, your control, whatever positions you run on deploying that line, you're going to have more folds and shorter folds to manage. And when you were talking about it before, your average fireman says like 5'8", 5'10", whatever, right? In that in that upper 5-foot right. range, you right. want you want the packability of your line to match the stature so when they pull it off, it drapes over their shoulder well in front and rear, and it's not too short. And chances are, with the shorter bed, you're going to get a crappier shoulder pack when you go to deploy that line. Correct. And that's kind of where people have found that that eight foot mark um, really falls into line again. This, this is because when you get that shoulder load, if you find the mid section of that shoulder load, you're draping four feet over four feet over the front, four feet over the back. You're not kicking it and you're not tripping on it. You know? Yeah, Um, no, that's, that's hundred percent accurate. Yes. It's just, it's like, and people are like, okay, how do I get that? So then you've got to start going, okay, well, to get that, your body has to be long enough to get the water ahead of it to still maintain eight feet of bed, five, five-ish feet off the ground. You know, five. You know, I see commonly, I see, I see sixty, sixty-three, and sixty-seven. And when you start seeing them creeping up, it's usually because either a the truck is getting shorter and the water's got nowhere left to go, right? Or you start to see. Um, large discharges to the rear you know people want to run rear intake or rear discharge right that's a you know a, a five inch pipe requires a, an approximately what sounds like sounds strange but because of the tank um construction from all the polytank manufacturers it's about an eight inch diameter sleeve going okay. through and then a stainless pipe gets pushed through that sleeve sure. that's how your plumbing goes through this or that so the more stuff you're sticking out the back you know, the more water has to get displaced and put somewhere. And then you also have to account for the fact that that pipe needs to be under the hose bed now. And that pipe is, you know, so many inches. So you've got to really figure that out. Yeah. I will, I will say though, seeing the one build that you did, uh, I've I've seen a lot of your builds, but the one, what was it? Plainsboro? I think it was. Plainsboro. Is that the one with just unlimited options when it comes to hose packs and stretches and, so Absolutely. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. So what we did is to, to accommodate, they did three discharges off the rear. Um, one it of piped, them is piped all, pope piped all the way to the back step. Piped all the way yes, to the back step, right. and and everything is grab and go. So um, they they opted to do a um, a smaller B one compartment, which is one of the give ups that we talked to, we started to kind right. of allude to earlier. So. Mm-hmm. By going to a small B1 compartment that's only between the frame rails, essentially, and storing, I think they've got their street hydrant in there. Um, so instead of having a full back compartment, that allowed the piping to go where 
your compartment would have been, right. which then does not raise the hose up. Trade-offs. They, they, yep. They put all their LDH to one side. They did all of their attack lines to the other side, and they have – it's something like 1,600 feet of inch and three-quarter on that truck between the front bumper and the back. Damn. Um, they did no crosslays. They mm-hmm. opted to go no crosslay. That way they could break down – you know, because they, you know, at, like every town, a lot of people put crosslays on it and you're either 50 feet from the door or you need, or you find out that you're, you're not long enough and you need to be pulling off the back anyway. Um, and that's something I see with people pre-connecting blitz fires all the time. I love a pre-connected blitz fire on a truck, but hooking it to a discharge just doesn't always work. You know, I like to see it pre-connected on a dead lay and you can pull what you need, crack it and hook up. Because sometimes I think sitting right in the front yard, you're only 50 feet. You don't, you don't need spaghetti in the street just because you know i i got so many feelings about what you're talking about right now you see all these apparatus it's like the best thing since sliced bread to put a pre-connected blitz fire on and i don't know how many times it's deployed right and if it's not pre-connected i'll tell you though if it's not pre-connected it's never deployed until it's too late and you're just using it to put ashes out well, and de- but you know. but depending upon what you're using it for and how you operate, right? Like, I don't see yeah, most departments running that, you know, it, to me, it would be a big fire, big water, or an exposure issue, right? And and if it's an exposure right. issue, then it's got to get stretched right away. And if it is pre-connected, your chauffeur could even run that line and get that thing going to protect the exposure. I get that. Exactly. How many How many people operate that way? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's 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 you have, you have to have the right the right guys with the right mindset to think to grab it because that you know you. You pull up, you see big fire. Everybody's gonna grab the two and a half and, and run for it. What you know? about that's, what which is, is kind of the right thing to do? You know. Yeah. What about over designing? Like I, I think when I look at some of these trucks, people are getting carried away with what they want to get out of it when in fact they're never gonna use half of it. Meaning, you know, uh, apparatus that are over designed and not simple anymore, right? I think we've I think we've complicated yep. it. I mean, I look at how many fires I've been to. I mean, I'd say in the last, I don't know how many years, but like if I stretched more than say four lines off a rig, it was a lot. Right? Like and and right. so looking at looking at that and and deciding what your build can look like. You know, have we gotten maybe a little crazy because we have overeducated? Um, yeah, you know, it, it would, I think what people think is, is they see an idea and they want that idea in the truck and yeah. then they want their next idea and the next idea. Yeah. They don't realize that those two ideas or three ideas share DNA and you can make those ideas work together. So like often you'll see too many pipes coming to the back of the truck. Or, you know, oh, that one time we went to a fire and this happened, so I want this on my truck now, you know, because one time I needed it. Yeah. And we didn't have it. You're like, all right, I understand that the one time you had an issue, but it's not um, it's not consistent. That's not something that happens to everybody or happens to you. It, did only, it only happened to you one time. And you want to try to do what you can to bulletproof these things, right? But the more gadgets you put on yeah. the uh, the harder it is to, you know, maintain it over the years too and, and get people trained, you know, Oh, it's harder to, you know, we're, we're in a situation now where you've got less volunteers, right? So on the volunteer side of things, you've got less volunteers coming in, which means you now have less seasoned guys. So who are your experienced operators? If you don't have people coming in, numbers are getting less, the harder the truck is to operate, the less chance you're going to have of getting quality operators to use your trucks. Yeah. You know? 
I, I can understand that completely. I think that there's still a, a, there needs to be an incredible push to educate, not just on operation of the truck, but theory, you know, and, and educating mm-hmm. now more than ever how these pumps work, why they work the way they do and, and what the function is. And when we're talking about pump size, like <clears throat> pumps, talk about size real yep. quick, man. Everybody thinks bigger is better. I know we standardized at a 1500 single stage. I had somebody call me the other day and ask me, a friend of mine, they're, they're getting a, uh, an engine off off of a uh, grant and they have to, they have to act quickly and they're going to get us, they're looking at a stock rig off the line and they've always been a two stage department. And now they're, that engine's a single stage and they're, they're hesitant. And I say, when's the last time you pumped in volume, right? Like ultimately like what, you know, and so on and having those conversations. And so he was picking my brain about the pros and cons between single and dual stage um, and also size. And I, I know so many departments that are getting 2000 GPM pumps and they can't supply them. Right. And, and a lot of people don't also don't realize when you start looking at pumps, whether it's a hail or a waters or a Darley and any of the fully manifolded pumps like a QMAX or a CSU or obviously the two stage versions of those pumps, that pump can handle anything from a thousand to twenty two fifty. It's how many ports and how you manifold right. it and make sure you have and make sure you have the right. Can you get capacity? Right. Mm hmm. You know, so I think you need to do 2000 well. You need to be at least at a 380 horsepower engine, which around here, most people go for higher horsepower engines to begin with because of terrain. And we, and I don't disagree with that. Yeah, right. There's other parts of the country have different things that they have to worry about. But for us, you nominally see the 400, the the, the 450s, um, and, and the obviously the big blocks, right? So with that, with that GPM and pump size, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I want to be on the task force. I want to do this. It says I have to have this. And I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. But now we have to make sure we have enough discharges. So you get some of these people going, okay, we have to, you know, adapt what we're doing and, and look at that. But yeah, the, the pump size is, um, it's kind of like, what's your, what's your evolution here? And just like you said, what are you doing with that two-stage pump? If yeah. you're pumping high-rise in your district, and, I, and when I say high rise, I mean, you know, more than the, the four and five floor, you know, condo complexes that everybody's getting. Those don't count as high rises. It might be a high rise if you only have two story houses in your town, but that's not a high rise by pump standard, you know? Um, no, I get that. And, and so on. And that's what that's what the conversation needs to have. And I, I think where I want to take this conversation then with you yep. is very much uh, what is it like to rein in a customer? Because I'm sure as as a seasoned salesman that you are and I'm a salesman outside of all of this too when you have to rein your customer in and have them focus on reality instead of pipe dreaming cuz I know when it comes to apparatus build and I've seen it firsthand there's a lot of pipe dreaming and a lot of this I want that I want this I want this I want that and you as the salesman have to uh politically be able to talk them back from their grandioso vision of the all encompassing engine right so Talk to me about right. that, man. I mean, that's got to be more challenging now than ever, especially everybody has everything at their fingertips. Well, absolutely. And it's essentially, you're almost like doing triage. Like, all right, let's, you got to start getting people to, to start realizing their own action. Reactions, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 So you're like, okay, guys, you want the low hose bed, but the low hose bed is going to create this problem. Is that, you know, is that a problem for you or is this going to do that for you? You know, is, uh, you know, oh, you want a booster reel. Okay, well, that is either going to have to go in the pump module, right? 
or the uh, up in the hose bed pan or into the B1 compartment, like in some of the older trucks they used to have, right back behind the uh, under the hose bed. Well, I don't want to lose the compartment for that. Okay, well, it's got to go in the pump module. It's got pump module's got to now be this size. Well, I don't want a big pump module. Okay, well, how about you carry some one inch hose in a in a well on the front bumper and use that for putting out your trash fires? Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. And then you're like, okay, scratch that one off the list. Yeah. You know, but or I, hey, you know what? We pulled up to a ton of fires. We we constantly are using this thing. I need that. Okay. We'll prioritize that. Let's look at what else we can, you know, move around and make this thing fit, you know? No, I, um, I get that. I totally get that. And I think that's where you have to be very in tune and inclined to be able to offer uh, alternatives and, um, and uh, a, a mutual, um, I'm trying to find the word here, um, like a, co- a compromise. You got, you got to find right. a compromise, but you need to facilitate that compromise with the customer in a political way, so that they're feeling exactly. that they're being heard. Yet, what they want is not realistic to the to the ultimate build. Exactly, you know. And sometimes uh, that happens a lot with fire truck size. People are like, "I want all this, but it needs to be twenty eight feet long." You're like, "Well, that's." going to be a pretty interesting trip but to try you know you yes. know i'll go to i'll go to bat for you but we're going to have to find somewhere that this thing's going to have to go because water's in its uh smallest form when it's in a when it's a liquid right yeah and uh you know you got to start going like i said you got to triage and go backwards from the permit the other thing you see people getting uh off off lately is uh is all the updated warning lights and scene lights and that's there is so much new coming out so yeah. often Yes, trying to stay up on that stuff. And some of that stuff, I mean, it, you know, it can start driving costs up very quickly as you start adding more and more and more. So trying to, trying to rein people in from blowing their budget. I don't want to say blowing their budget, but overspending their budget um, on, on stuff when they still have, you know, life-saving equipment to put their money into first, you know? A hundred percent. And that can't be stressed enough is where the, the importance of your spending goes and how you budget for this apparatus. And I think that's a great segue into where I wanted to go with this, um, the budget wall on this truck, right? Like when you're doing a build now, you guys as manufacturers are, are as far out as two and three years on delivery and you're quoting projects that far out. And so the price tag has climbed. And it's, you know, it's just a matter of, of life. Like, there, there's nothing egregious there. It is a fact that the manufacturers, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the manufacturers are dealing with supply chain issues and delivery issues, employment uh, and, and um, you know, manpower issues. They're dealing with ultimate build problems where trucks are being pushed out because you can't get the, con- the product and so on. But you're forecasting two, three years in advance. And so... You know, that is that puts manufacturers in a very, very tough spot. Yeah, and, and actually that, that that segue is kind of interesting because we're starting to see um, now on the we're, we're at the beginning of the we're at the beginning of the middle of this, I guess, right? It seems yeah. like um, things have been changing. <clears throat> We've kind of hit a new point in where we're at with this whole uh, inflation and uh, longer lead time stretches from from the orders put in for the past two years, and we're seeing some vendors starting to obsolete parts that are in orders. And you're like, well, hold on, now we got to yeah. hunt down the road. Yeah. <clears throat> and I've had it happen to me in the past with like loose equipment that came with trucks that I've had, you know, a brand uh, does a turnover and they're retooling and you can't get the the thermal cameras and waiting for the next model to come out or you know this happened had that. 
but uh, you know, we're seeing it with warning lights as a big one. A lot of the electronics companies, and I think that's because they're having to shift production due to supply chain issues. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's harder to keep more SKUs on in stocks. So you're seeing them narrowing some of their stuff and going with only the updated products and things of that sort, which is fantastic that you're getting the cutting edge. But when you're ordering a truck today, you're ordering 2023's cutting edge. You're going to get it in 2025. Some people 2026. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, what three, three years three years worth of things are going to come out between now and when you get your truck, and customers are going to keep seeing a new thing coming out and going, "Hey, can I change that on my truck?" Well, it's like you kind of can't, depending on what it is, because you're you're just waiting in a in a line, and the engineering process is done in the front end of that line, you know, so it's all set and waiting. Um, and it's it's going to be a challenge in this industry for the next couple of years is how to navigate making customers happy when they ordered their truck two years ago. They're still, you know, just getting started on their build or just, you know, we're right right now, we're right around the two-year mark ourselves, so a little, little under two years to get started. And they're seeing something and wanting to change their mind on what they want, you know. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm building a... Like, I'm building a 2023 truck and, and it's being delivered in 25. So it's right. like, I can absolutely understand the frustration of the customer being like, wait a minute, you know, like, wait, you should be able to fix this or change this or do this or do that. But in fact, you guys have already moved on from that process because now you're just in line at the factory waiting for assembly and build. Right. And, and the next and, person's getting their truck. To yeah. On God, that's really not, nuts. that's not easy, that, man. That's that a, is, that's a, that's a layer of this onion that we're, that I don't think anybody's ready to figure out exactly how to, you know, comfortably work through, but how, we're, you know, we're going to have to work through it together. And, know, and we're firemen. We're, we're impatient and we want what yeah. we want. Right. Like it's Absolutely. always been that way that I don't, I don't envy you guys at all for that situation, man. Cause I can only imagine you have, <laughs> you've already designed and, and this trucks got a number on the line for E1. And then your customers start sending you pictures and been like, Hey, I want to do this instead. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, right. No wonder it's why you don't looking. sleep. And this is seven right, days a week. Type and change orders. Oh my um, gosh. You know, and then the, the, one of the other things we're seeing is, and then this goes back to some of the pre-build conversation we had earlier with these things going on is price increases are happening more rapidly mm -hmm. than they used to. It used to be a very traditional thing where it was like, Hey, coming close to the end of the year or sometimes in the spring, you know, you might get one or two. I mean, in the past year, manufacturers have had to have more increases at a rap more rapid succession because they're seeing the market changing so rapidly that they can't afford to continue to keep booking orders at the old price, right? I mean, it's just, it, there's a reason that they're doing it. They're not doing it for fun. And so they're, they're having to go rapidly. And because of that, customers are having to look at being more ready. Like you got, you can't leave any stone unturned because, you know, the purchasing process, uh, I, I know, especially in our state is not, is not simple. Right. You know, the, 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 all the red tape that you have to go through uh, on the municipal side of the purchase outside of designing your fire truck isn't easy. So being able to have that paperwork to hand to the town and say, hey, you need to get this done in the next three meetings or next two meetings. You know, this needs to, you know, politics aside, we need to do this or it's going to cost us a, an amount of money. You know, it's forcing people to shorten the timeline they're spending on research yeah. so that's 
that's creating a little bit of a, a bottleneck, if you will, of guys hurrying up. And I don't want to say rushing to buy because you don't want to rush a project, but people are trying, you know, they, that's a little less hemming and hawing, if you will. Yeah. Uh, going through the spec. But I think the one thing that plays well to that, though, is the fact that most of your consumers today are better educated than they've ever been before. And if they understand, Mm -hmm. if they get anything out of this podcast today, it's to have your homework done before even talking to the salesman. So that when your salesman comes in, you can really lay out a plan of what you're looking for and have those bullet points already answered so that you can dive right in to expedite the process. I've been on some build committees that take months and, and a year to, to hammer out an apparatus. And, and in fact, like if you have a lot of your homework done in your needs, it gives you right. The sales rep and the manufacturer's rep, the ability to give a much better reply and a more quality of answers and and drawings up front than having to go through this stupid back and forth process that we all know is going to take forever to work out. If we can just get to it right up front. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's we, the more we can do uh, straight out, uh, it would just make our day better for, for everybody. You know, you're going to get the best product if you put that time in up front. You know? Yeah. Like, so how do we how do we as as firefighters then when we're planning on truck committees and we're looking at new builds and we're building a 23 truck, but it's being delivered at 25 and you admittedly and we all know. Things are changing. Technology is changing. You look at the incorporation of battery-powered equipment, right? We're looking at battery yep. saws. We're looking at, um, you know, uh, battery-operated extrication tools, fans. So we got to put more power on these trucks, right? So as we're building these trucks, we have yeah. to build for the future, and that's super important. And upfitting of apparatus is huge, right? Once you get through the staples of the build, if it's an engine, it's, you know, engine transmission, pump size, hose capacity, tank size, right? Those are your like main functions. Everything else is window dressing and your compartmentation matters because of the equipment you're carrying and the future change within the fire service, you know, i.e. bringing in more electric, having more chargers. So you got to have more outlets, all this shit, right? So when, when you talk about all that, the upfitting process, super important to incorporate early on in the build, no? Absolutely. Yeah, and like from even from the dealer side, there's some upfitting, like some upfitting that we started including into, into every truck to alleviate pain for us. And it's just some of it's just 12 volt power, right? Yeah. So all these all these new chargers, everybody's buying battery stuff, and everybody, it's almost like when we first started putting computers into fire trucks, everybody was like, Oh, I need a household outlet in here. Well, computers can run off a 12 volt, you know, and then it finally, we started getting, you know, the, the, the infrastructure and uh, habits and some of these other manufacturers started coming out and creating things to make it easier for us for that. So then we're seeing it with the battery tools. I'm seeing, you know, the DeWalt's, the Milwaukee's, uh, all of them there, they have 12 volt chargers to be made to work off of truck power instead of just generator or shoreline power. The whole point of being battery is to be, um, mobile and convenient so we're trying to figure out how to how to manage between how much 12 volt power we add and how much 120 volt power because the problem with 120 volt power is it's got to feed in through that shoreline well that's it and it's only and it's only charging when the truck's plugged in right there's it's only charging when the truck's plugged in and if i put and if i put 50 outlets on a fire truck and i try to plug in 50 things well, the 20 amp service that's coming to your <laughs> yeah. shoreline is right. just going to pop the breather in the firehouse. Every time. So the next thing you know, you got a firehouse problem, not a fire truck problem. 
Yeah. And it's, it's tough. And trying to pre-plan right now is, a, is very tough because everybody's looking at all this battery stuff. I mean, even, even uh, we're seeing fantastic um, saws being put together by these people. I, you know, Without a doubt. Like, it seems like that's going to be the new wave in the next couple of years. You know, I don't think small motors are going to be on fire trucks in the, after the next 10 years. It seems like, I mean, and you, you hit on it before, less. right? Think about how many people are neglecting uh, generators now and cord reels, right? There's just no need right. for it anymore. When you have battery operated fans. I mean, what do we typically run it for? We ran a cord reel and a generator for lighting and fans, and now everything is battery. Right. right? Oh, and so exactly. inevitably, you know, we are getting away from internal combustion engines on our equipment and uh, and rightfully so, if the technology is there and we're able to use battery operated saws for forcible entry saws and roof saws and things like that, there's no reason why we wouldn't skew in that direction. Absolutely. But we got to yeah, build I mean, our infrastructure to allow for it. Right. Yeah. You've got to be you've got to be ready up front to just make it so you're not having to reinvent the wheel a year after you bought the truck. Right. You waited two years to get it. Then you get it and you're bringing it back and saying, hey, I have to change way, change out all these compartments because I bought all new equipment. It doesn't fit anywhere in here. Yeah, you're starting back from scratch, and it's uh, it's a little bit tough. So you, you kind of want to leave leave yourself a little bit of room in your storage to to plan for some of this stuff. You you know, people used to say, "Oh, leave ten percent extra space." That doesn't that's a that sounds nice, but you know, having a plan for what you're going to put. And honestly, when you come to, to to normal firefighting operations, you know, the bread and butter equipment on a truck, you know what you're carrying. You know, there's there's a small amount of change that's really going to happen. Um, yeah, at I, this juncture. I agree. And I think, too, I think what we're going to find and I think what we're seeing already is as the deliveries get pushed out and pricing seems to be climbing due to multiple increases. I think yeah. what you're really starting to see is fire apparatus, custom fire apparatus that are being built are being scaled back into the things we want versus the things we have to have. And I think that Correct. that's, you know, maybe that's a correction in the market that needs to happen. You know, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying you can't have every bell and whistle. I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care how the guy in the next town over builds their trucks. I don't care because I don't operate them. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they do with them. It's not my issue, right? My issue is my own equipment. And when you start looking at, you know, things that are slowing down deliveries and things like that, I mean, you're finding a lot of departments now are going with second and third tier product, you know, uh, you know, pre-made, you know, apparatus that have a that have a manufacturing slot already on the line, and this is what you're going to get. Do you want it? Because you can have it quicker, right? Like that type of thing. I mean, those things are happening too at a much greater pace than they used to. Oh, without a doubt, and that's something that and I, we started approaching people saying, okay, well, let's let's slow down before we jump into that. Okay, if you are in a hurry for a reason, yeah, obviously we have that product for you. We'll go down that road. But let's start really peeling back what you're putting in your truck and start trying to figure out how to get this truck into a, a budget that is in your wheelhouse, you know, and, you know, oh, okay, maybe this warning, you know, this scene light is this much money. Okay, how about this scene light? This will do, you know, pretty much the same thing, but it's a different style. It'll get you where you're going. Hey, maybe you don't need as big of a, if you do need a generator, maybe you don't need a 10K or a 12, 20K. Maybe you can go a little smaller, you know, if, uh, you know, because it's not just uh, on engines. This is rescues and ladders. I mean, some yeah, of are, are are just wild. So you have to start really trying to figure out how to simplify things out. We've, we've got one customer now we're working with that buys a fairly expensive truck right now, uh, engine. 
um, for what you when I say fairly expensive, you know, they put a lot of money into their truck to reduce um, maintenance costs over the years, but they have more money in their maintenance budget for things that are wear items. Whereas these guys are spending money to make it so that it's never even a wear item. You're right. like, well, hold on. Okay. How do we, but okay. You can't afford the new truck with that. So maybe we take the things and you plan to have to replace that wear item, you know, in maintenance over the years, as opposed to buying the, the bulletproof box, yeah, you know, and, right. and I get you it. still get the, the style you're looking for is still there. You know, there's, there are, um, there are some manufacturers whose components are just more expensive. You know, maybe we have to start looking at some of the alternatives. You know, everybody loves, you know, the look of the pump panel. Oh, this thing looks perfect. I like the way it operates. Okay. Can you handle doing that with this? You know, can we, you know, scale back um, a discharge or two off the truck? You know, if you're not, you know, like you said earlier, the amount of, the amount of plumbing and lines and things that guys want to put on these trucks, like where can we take just a little bit out that's not going to sacrifice your end product and also still having uh, a reliable product, um, you know, from, from like a top quality standpoint, because you don't want to start looking for ways to, uh, you know, chintz out, if you will, on, you know, the quality of the product. You don't no, want to start going 100%. down the quality game, but you want to start figuring out where the line, where, you know, how to walk the line. Yeah. But a real conversation is, you know, do we truly need this or is this something that is, you know, wanted, not needed. Right. And I think that's where the focus conversation is really starting to happen as lead times get pushed out and price tags start climbing. It's we start reining in the need versus want. And I think that you're starting to see that with a lot. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of engine companies per se, that are coming off the line and they are scaled down. They're yes. not getting the, you know, the unlimited number of discharges and they're not getting all the bells and whistles. We're seeing a lot of flat line roofs again. We're not seeing a lot of raised roofs because a lot of yep. engine companies are just running a three man crew. What do you need a stand up, you know, interior, like all those things. Right. Like I think that, and, and that's, what's cool too, with the apparatus market is watching the trends, right? Like, and a lot of the trends come back around. I mean, you know, we went from, you know, scaled down engines in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. We started enclosing cabs. We're starting to put bigger water tanks. We're starting to push hose beds up. Then we come back around again and realize we want a lower hose bed again. We're going to, you know, technology is allowing us to do a couple different things, which makes the apparatus a little bit smaller. Like you're seeing that. That's fun to watch. I, I enjoy watching the trends. Oh, absolutely. I mean, ladder racks, 11 feet in the air, yeah. you know, knocking, you know, ripping trees down every day, you know, as you're turning on the block. Yep. And now, now it's back to side loaded ladders on a lot of people's trucks. Yeah. You know, and, car and carrying less hand tools and things like that, going back to the basics, you know, um, you know, just keeping going back to simple firefighting. You know, I, I agree with you. A lot of. Yeah. And I, I think it, it all makes sense though, right? When you wrap this all up, it makes sense, right? As the, right. as the industry changes and, you know, and so on, so does everything that reflects the job that we do. And apparatus is certainly one of those big things. Let me do this before we wrap up. Give me a couple bullet items that are important for the beginning. Before you walk into my department and help me design my, my vision, what are a couple bullets um, that are imperative that we have in order before you come in? You, you need to know how many 
how many seats you really need in that truck, okay. right? which is going to drive your maximum dimensions. That's maximum dimensions, seats, and water is really your step, you know, your first three steps of the process, if you will, because knowing the size your truck has to be, if you have a maximum size, is huge. You know, everybody talks about your wheelbase being down. That's fantastic. But if you, you know, your wheelbase is going to be down if your truck can only be so many feet long. You know, and that's a, a major thing. If you have a travel height that you have to hit, that's a big deal, especially if you're buying an aerial or something like that. Yeah. You may you may be, you know, thinking, oh, wow, you, you know, we build, these guys build seven, eight, nine, ten different models of, of rear mount stick. Which one is the one for me? Well, if you tell me you're at a certain travel height or there's one, maybe two or three that fit that travel height. So you already are kind of being told without you having a choice as to what you're going to buy. Well, you that's know? it. Yeah. Um, so that's important. And then mission, you gotta have, you, you gotta know what you're trying to do. Is this, you know, what's the mission of this truck and <clears throat> bumpers, aerials, rescues, you know, are, are you, are you going to auto accidents? Are you doing, um, car fires? Are you, you know, on the highway? Are you off the highway? Cause the top mount side mount debate comes into place on bumpers and things of that sort and trying sure. to negotiate all this stuff. Um, so you, you kind of have to have that that list started where are you going to put your ladders that's a that is a huge one that a lot of people don't realize how much that can affect the length of their truck and their hose bed and their water tank because ladders are what they are you know 24 and a 14 or 14 feet long so if they're going inside the body you have to have 14 feet of storage you know god yeah i mean i listen man my engines traditional complicated you know complement my engines used to carry 35 foot three sections. And, and I'm like, yeah. why, why do we carry a three section 35 on an engine company? Like what, right. what are we doing? Right. But then with the introduction of an aerial to the department, right. That downsized that. So now, you know, 28s or 24s and so on. So it's like, it's those conversations too, that have to happen. And I, I think, Absolutely. you know, ultimately uh, I think a candid look at who you are, the department you are and how you operate realistically not pipe dreaming, but realistically understanding yep. how you operate is is what's going to set you up for success, for sure. Absolutely. I love it. Chris, thank well, you, brother. Great conversation well, on you. Fire Apparatus today. Um, I love I it. You know it. I'm an apparatus guy. I could talk about this stuff all day long. I actually oh, yeah. want to make this a regular um you know, a regular feature episode that we do apparatus stuff once a week where we dive in on specific topics because I think there's tremendous value that can come from that. Uh, so I will certainly get you back on for another topic down the road. But uh, thanks for joining me yeah. today, man. Great conversation. I appreciate it, man. Have good. a good one. Yeah, Chris, where can people reach out? If they got any questions or they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? So uh, with Absolute Fire, we have our website is absolutefire.com. Um, we're trying our best, and uh, we've got a team that's been working on getting our up to, our website up to, uh, you know, well updated so people can find info off there on Facebook, mm -hmm. Facebook, Instagram. Um, and then you could reach us uh, here at the office, 908-757-3600. Awesome. Uh, if you're looking to really talk and uh, get some hard facts, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. And I do appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to chat with me today, man. Really good conversation. Hang right here. I'll come right back to you as I sign off, okay? Sounds good. Good. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Chris Dubois, Absolute Fire Protection out of South Plainfield, New Jersey. They are the E1 dealer and manufacturer's rep for northern New Jersey and the metro New York area. 
Uh, Chris is a rock star. Great conversation today about apparatus. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation, take it back to the firehouse. Take it back to your firehouse. Talk about it because as we talk about the job, we are making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. And if you have any ideas, thoughts, or questions about the podcast, please feel free to email us at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. There you can reach out. It's a direct line right to us so we can discuss anything. And if you have some thoughts and ideas, we'll read them on the air. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio.